and welcome to Story of the Book, where middle grade YA and picture book authors tell the stories of their books from beginning to end. I'm Hayley Chewins. I write books about magical girls with secrets. And I'm Lindsay Eager. I write books about growing up in this weird, wondrous world. And we're so very happy to have you here. Let's get started. And we are so excited to be talking to Anna Marie McLemore today. Um, Anna Marie is the acclaimed author of so many books. I'm going to list a bunch of them so that you can hear them, so that you can look them up. Um, the Weight of Feathers, When the Moon Was Ours, Wild Beauty, Blanca y Roja, Dark and Deepest Red, Miss Meteor, The Mirror Season. And then they also have two books coming up, Lake Lore, which we're going to be talking about today, and then also uh, an upcoming Great Gatsby remix, which I hope to like ask a few questions at the end about that to get any kind of information that you can give to us. Um, they mostly write uh, what you might call magical realism, or at least a blend of magical realism and other sort of um, fantastical elements. They're often inspired by fairy tales, but also they have such strong themes of community and love and na uh, natural beauty and nature in their work. They are also on the VCFA faculty, um, and they also have written for a lot of different anthologies. So they are just multi-talented, multi, uh, so many stories, so many characters, so many wonderful things that we're going to talk about today. Welcome, Anna Marie. So excited to have you here on Story of the Book. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad to be here and was so thrilled that you invited me. Thank you both. Yay! We are delighted to have you. Well, <laughs> I will dive in and ask you, um, to give us a, a pitch for Lake Lore. This is a YA that's coming out in March of 2022, I think, March? March. Yes. March 8th, 2022. So Lake Lore is a sort of portal fantasy plus romance about two non-binary Mexican-American teens. Both of them use they, them pronouns. Their respective forms of neurodivergence, specifically one of them has dyslexia and one of them has ADHD and a secret world that's been hidden under a nearby lake for years, but now starts coming above the surface and sort of threatening to bring everyone's secrets above the surface with it. It's so good. And it's uh, every book that you write, I think, well, this one's my favorite. No, this one's my favorite. I think Lake Lore might be my favorite. Well, thank you so much. And thank you for thank you for reading it at the stage that you did where there were still many, many brushstrokes showing. That was a terrible pun considering how, <laughs> how much there's painting in this book. I didn't even mean that. It just happens. That's a great Easter egg for anybody who's read this in the future and can like <laughs> listen to it. That's wonderful. <laughs> well, will you tell us where this book started for you? So this book started it was one of those books that took a long time to find its final shape, but the idea came really fast. And it happened when I was um, I was at this lake in in Canada with um, with a, with a group of writers. Um, E.K. Johnston had invited me there and knew that I was I was in this I was in this place where I really needed to heal. And and Kate was saying like this is a, this is a good place to do that. And the first time I jumped into this lake, 
I just had this idea. It was one of those things that just came all at once. It was, it was just like magic. It all came into my head and I thought, okay, I know who this, I know who these two people are. And I, I know what this world under this lake is. And it was, it took a, it took a while to get to sort of the heart of what this, of this book being about, being about neurodivergence, being about magic. But that idea of, that idea of lake magic and the starting point of these two characters, it was one of those, it all, it all came in a flash when I jumped into this lake. That is lake magic. Was the water, was it a cold lake? It's Canada. So I'm assuming it probably wasn't like a tropical it was it was cold but this the strange thing is it was a cold that wore off a lot faster than the pacific ocean which is what i'm used to Mm. um and i don't i don't know exactly how to describe that but i i love i love the ocean but the the pacific is it it stays cold like it's Mm. i my like my poor friends who visit from who visit from other places who are expecting the pacific ocean to be to be warm um it's it's a like at least where i go it's pretty chilly and um, it's this sort of permeating cold that is that is both kind of forbidding, but I also have a certain respect for. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it was about this lake, but yeah, I I didn't feel cold pretty soon after getting in. So further lake magic, I guess. And can I ask, do you normally get ideas like that, like that happen just instantly, and it's the characters are in your mind, or does it normally take a long time to figure things out for you, idea wise? Usually the trajectory of figuring out an entire book is pretty long, but that kind of flash is pretty common. Um, Like my, Mm -hmm. my first book, Weight of Feathers, when I was, I was in the, like, I was in the woods in fairy wings for this photo shoot. And that's when the, that's when the (laughs) idea came to me for that. Um, For Dark and Deepest Red, I was, I knew I wanted to write about the, the 1518 Dancing Plague and which is, for anyone who doesn't know is just as just as strange as it sounds it's dozens and then hundreds of people dancing uncontrollably for days in a way that seemed impossible and this is something that actually happened and I knew I knew I wanted to write about that but I didn't know how I was going to do it and Mm -hmm. I was in I was in Irish dance class one day thinking about this when I should have been thinking about like the steps I was learning Um, (laughs) and my my practice shoes are red um, and I, I was completely, I was completely oblivious to the connection here until, um, until I heard about this one, one of my classmates, her little girl, like points at me and says, mommy, I want to dance like her. I want to dance like the girl in the red shoes. And I thought, oh my gosh, that's it. That's the red this shoes. Is a, this is a, this is a red shoe story. This is a, uh, this is the dancing plague together with uh, Hans Christian Andersen's story. Mm-hmm it'll be this, it'll be this idea sort of sparkling into my head and then like, okay, it's your problem to figure out how it's going to happen and how all the logistics are going to work. But here's your little, like, here's your little burst of inspiration magic. And now it's time to figure out, figure out what, what's going to be underneath all of it. So how long was it between getting that original idea and then moving into drafting it or outlining it? So that was, I got that idea in 2000 I was at the lake in 2019 mm-hmm. and I believe I draft I drafted it um with with Lindsay's 8020 course by the way oh, cool for anyone who has experienced the the magic of Lindsay's teaching um in 2020 wow and okay so this was a pandemic draft it was it was um <laughs> 
and it was a as many of my books do it took um it took a few rewrites just because I will get like I it it seems like with it seems like with each like overhaul of a book something important will come into focus um Mm. but the other things won't quite yet the other things will the other things will take a little bit longer so that was so I first drafted it in in 2020 and that's when I really started sharpening okay this is this is what this world is this is what this world shows you that perhaps you you don't want to confront this Mm. is what the relationship between these characters is um so that was that was what was really coming to light in that draft so the the book also has a huge focus on neurodiversity, um, particularly ADHD and also dyslexia. So when did you know that you wanted to write about these things? It was one of those things where I didn't, it was probably the, the second or third re- rewrite where I realized I was writing about it without writing about it. And that's, that's often the point where I think like, okay, that's what this book is. That's what this book is really about. And it either, either I need to, I need to be willing to dive into this. The horrible puns are just going to come throughout this entire conversation. <laughs> bring them on. Bring them on. <laughs> um, I, I either need to, I either need to just go into this or um, I need, if I'm not ready to write about this, I need to set it aside and write another book. Um, but in this case, I thought, okay, I want to, I want to stick with these characters. This is what's been missing from this book is talking about like different forms of how, how our brains are wired. Um, and these are like, these, these are both, these are both brain quirks that I, that I have personal experience with. I'm just, I'm dyslexic and I have ADHD. So it was, it was interesting figuring out how to, how to separate out these two experiences that aren't, that aren't completely separate because they do have some overlapping traits, Mm -hmm. but also having them be in, in different characters and realizing like, okay, this is, this is what I've been writing about without really knowing it like having having a safe space for how your have for how your brain works having mm-hmm. these having these particular adaptations um in, in i'm thinking of, of bastian who has who has adhd and um they're continually making alebrijas which are these um these beautiful art form um please please look it up if you haven't if you haven't heard of them um they're these animals that are that are like mythical mythical creatures often made out of um, composites of different elements of, of animals and they're, they're painted brightly. Um, and there's something that's, that's very, very important um, in, in Mexican, Mexican art. So this is something that Bastian does just continually as a way to, a way to not only fidget, but as a way to sort of think about like, oh, like, okay, this is something I, this is something I can sort of focus on in a way to process some of what's in my brain. So the, the Alebrijas came in even before I knew what they were really about. And I think that happens to a lot of writers sometimes is like, I've, I've already been doing this. I just haven't known what I've been writing about. There's a part of your mind that's kind of cleverer than you are in a way, like your unconscious mind is so clever and the part that's trying to like piece everything together consciously has to like struggle to kind of catch up. I often feel like that. that. How has that happened in your work? Um, Yeah. So I also write multiple drafts of things and I often... I don't often get, sometimes I'll get a little spark in the beginning, but it's a really tiny spark. It's just like an image or a feeling. 
And then I feel like I have to write towards the story and I can brainstorm a lot, but the magic really happens when I'm actually writing scenes and I'm writing about characters or just throwing things in there and seeing what happens. And yeah, I've often had that experience of like, oh, I've been writing about this. Like I kind of have been leaving myself clues throughout the three drafts that I've written. And then I have to look back and go like, oh, that's what the story is actually about. <laughs> it's weird. That um, idea that you've been leaving those seeds for yourself, even if you yeah. haven't really known it. Well, I think it's so interesting in the context of your book too, because the image of something being underwater is like mm-hmm. such a kind of, um, I guess, yeah, such a beautiful metaphor for the unconscious mind, like these depths of, of water that you have in your own mind and the, the secrets that you can kind of keep from yourself. Yeah, it's really interesting. Well, I have, I have a question for both of you because I feel like I'm the opposite <laughs> where I start with <laughs> whatever's underwater and then um, uh-huh. and, and go right towards that and then have to sort of pull things together and, and make it fit in a way that isn't quite so, that's a lot, that's much more subtle. <laughs> Do you think this way of sort of writing around something, do you think that that is because it's often an emotional thing that you're writing around, something that's maybe difficult to confront head on? Yeah, I mean, I do. I am conscious of the fact that even though I write fantasy, I'm often writing about some kind of psychological reality too. Like, I I mean, I love fantasy and I love writing about magic and magical birds and magical music and magical everything. But yeah, that oftentimes magic is like a language for something that I can't express, like on a psychological level, like it's a language for what anxiety feels like, or what it feels like to have um, someone in your family who's really ill, or like really mentally ill. Um, so yeah, I do, I do think that probably, that's also probably why I'm fascinated by the idea of keeping secrets from yourself, or that some parts of you are just hidden from you. Um, because I do, I think that I have probably a lot of things that I, that I haven't confronted and over my life. I need to do that, I guess, in my writing, but also, um, thankfully in, in therapy. <laughs> I think I, I think I live in this, in this middle space of continually being aware of the ways in which I am different from what is often considered the, considered the default. Like I'm, I'm Latina, I'm, I'm mixed race. Um, I, I have like, I have these forms of neurodivergence in my brain. I'm, I'm trans, I'm non-binary, I'm queer. I, I, have, I have a continual awareness of that, but I also, I, I also, it's not that I forget it, but it's what I am. So I don't really know anything different. So sometimes I can, I can forget where I'm writing from. So mm-hmm. I, I think that's why sometimes it takes me a little while to know what I'm writing about because I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm just writing characters in the same way that I'm just sort of being a person and I'm never different from, I'm never separate from my identities, but mm-hmm. knowing what, um, what aspect of, what aspect of my own experience and my own communities I might be writing about, sometimes that takes a little while, especially if you're, if you're writing, if you're writing characters who are in, in some ways, they have some of, some of you and some of your heart in them, but they're not, you're not you. Like I'm not, I'm not writing something that's explicitly autobiographical. I'm not writing something that's, that's a memoir. So Mm -hmm. realizing like the sort of, the sort of air that you breathe is your own experience and thinking like oh that's right that's where I'm writing from and 
understanding that takes me a little while to know to sometimes to know specifically what community, what community experience I'm writing about, what experience I'm writing about. And some of it is, some of it is very obvious. Like most of my, most of my characters are, are Latina, most of my characters are mixed race. Um, in this case, like I knew that the, both of these characters were non-binary. I wanted to write two non-binary characters who both use they, they, them pronouns, but who, um, who have very different conceptions of their gender identity and, and different gender expressions. So, so some of that is there, but when, when I'm thinking about um, the aspect of this book with, with neurodivergence, I think because that is, that is my brain, it took a little while to realize that that was, their, that was their brains too. And that's what I'm writing about. Will you talk a little bit about ADHD and dyslexia? So dyslexia, that was a that was a really interesting thing to write about in this book because how in a book with all these words do you convey the experience of how reading these words would be different and those were some of the first passages I wrote and those were some of the passages that stayed the most unchanged um and I I read them um I wrote them and then I read them to my mother who is um who who is dyslexic um she learned to read in her in her early 20s um she she's a brilliant woman. She graduated from high school without knowing how to read, which really gives you a sense of how, how smart she is. Um, and I, at the same time, I read them to my dad, who does not, um, I read them to both of them at the same time, who, who does not have dyslexia, to get sort of the simultaneous take of, do you know what I'm talking about? And does this sound like our shared experience? Um, so those were some of the first passages that I, that I wrote, some of the first passages that I shared. And I typically don't share, um, don't share my work with my parents very early. So this was, this was an unusual book in that respect, but it seemed, it seemed right. So the way I talk about it in the book is the best way I know how to explain it. And the short version is that like the way that the way that words appear on the page is much more separate from the way from the way words sound in my brain, the way words sound to me. Um, And this is just my experience of dyslexia. Everyone's is going to be different, but I have to match words up in a way that phonics is never going to be able to do. Like what like sounded out were some of the most dreaded words. Like I talk about this in the book that I heard because mm-hmm. I, I just, it was, it was so hard to, to do what they were asking me to do. Um, and part of why this was so frustrating is because I, um, I was very fortunate to have, um, to have parents, family members, community community members, educators who read with me. And that was the only way that I learned to read. So I did know how to read, but I did this thing that was like a, it was like a dirty word in school, sight reading, which you're only supposed to do with, with specific words. I talk about this in the book too. Um, you're, you're supposed to sound out other words. So in a way in a way I was like, I was reading in a way that was working for me. And then that got broken down as I was told, you're not reading the right way. So suddenly my ability to read, my confidence in reading, it just, um, it, it just deteriorated. Um, so that was, that was part of my experience of, of, of thinking like, okay, like reading is, reading is hard, but I like, like, but I like books. Um, and even though it's hard, like I love stories and I want to connect with books to having, to getting to this place of having just shame about books and thinking like, okay, not only do you have trouble reading, but the extent that you can read, like you're reading wrong. And I didn't, 
I didn't talk about this. Um, I, I didn't, I didn't talk to anybody about this because I had that shame about it. Um, I didn't like, I didn't even talk to my mother about it. And she probably would have said like, well, this, this like highly heritable quirk, like in your, like in your brain, the timeline of it is a very common experience of right around. Um, I think it's, I think it's third or fourth grade. Don't like, don't quote me. I'm not an, I'm like, I'm not a, like, I'm, I'm not an elementary school educator. I'm not a neuroscientist. Um, so this is just, this is from, from my experience and from what I've read, um, right around third or fourth grade is when you're often going to hit a wall because you get to that point where you're expected to sound things out. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was some of my experience with, um, with, with dyslexia where it, it was going like, it was, it was difficult, but it was going, it was going okay until it wasn't until I hit that wall. And in a, and at the same time I was hitting that wall, I was being told the way, the way in which you do read is wrong. And at the same time, having that, having shame about like the books that I liked, like I, mm-hmm. I, I loved picture books at an age where most kids were not reading picture books, which is part of why, why I love being in, um, in this, in this community, in the children's literature community, because I'm, a, I'm around a bunch of adults who are reading picture books. So it's great. Um, yeah. But feeling like I couldn't talk about reading picture books because they were considered so below the grade level that I was supposed mm. to be reading at. Um, that's something that, that, that's something that made me hide whatever I was reading, hide to whatever extent I, I was reading. So that was a long rambling answer about <laughs> dyslexia. And again, just my, um, just my experience with it. And one that, um, one that I write a lot about in Lake Lore, because that's something that the, the character of Lore is, is sort of, is sort of figuring out how, like, how to, how to live in the world, having, having been told like you're you're doing this wrong and try and finally getting like getting help from people who are going to who are going to tell them like this is this is about working with your brain not against it there's something so beautiful about a writer who's in love with words who's in love with stories who also like sees words differently i mean beautiful but i also mean like horrible when you consider how awful English is to sound out. I know that you studied math in college. The ways in which, the ways that um, math interacts with the world, um, physics, astrophysics, things like that, that was something that always drew me in and something I, um, something I wanted to learn more about in college. And math was something that I, like, I, I struggled enough with it to un, to know to be able to explain it to um, to other to other people when I've done like when I've done tutoring or anything like that, but it did come more naturally to me until they did word problems. Then it was like, why why have you done this to me? What oh, are you doing? That's why, cruel. Just give me the just give me the math problem. Don't tell me about the don't tell me about the trains leaving Topeka at different speeds. Um, <laughs> so, the ways in which math was beautiful to me, I think the the idea of it being underneath things, the idea of how much math like it's. Like it's underneath music, it's underneath geology. It's this mm-hmm. like it's this language that um, like I'm I I love it and it's it's something that just it 
it talks to me in a way that like stories do in a way that stories do before the before the actual act of the words gets in the way of it I I don't I'm trying to like talk coherently because I get weirdly emotional when I talk about when I when I talk about math like I I like that yeah my my like friends have seen me like like sobbing during parts of movies that are like sad but also like I will just start crying because the math is beautiful. Like I'm thinking of, I'm, I'm thinking of like imitation game. I'm thinking of hidden figures where yeah. like there are parts of it where I'm crying because it is, because it is sad because the things that are happening in these movies are devastating. And then there are other parts of these movies where like, I'm like, I'm like, the math is so beautiful. And my <laughs> friends are like, okay, now you've lost me. <laughs> well, I'm glad the math is actually right in the movie that they don't just put up, you know, nonsense on the chalkboard yeah that's true because I, would, I wouldn't be able to I wouldn't the know difference. the difference <laughs> I'm writing about this um I'm writing about this in self-made boys which is my um my great my great Gatsby remix um the uh, Nick Caraveo who is my trans Latino uh Nick Caraway is um gets recruited as a like a as as a math whiz like he's a as the early version of a quant in in on 1920s wall street and wow. he just thinks in math like that's that's how he that's how he sees the world that's how that's how he sees everything well i have one question about adhd in this book mm-hmm. and then we can move on to hearing about revision if that's okay so that we make sure we hit all our points here yeah of course mm-hmm. what is it about the adhd experience that was so perfect and fit so well in this story. Part of it was it, it, it was just in this, this character, this character of, of Bastian and how they, how they see the world, how they interact with the world, um, how they, they have this, this sort of, sort of sensitivity to how, how the world is around them and, um, and taking it in and processing it in a way that, um, that is sometimes that sometimes fuels you and fuels being creative, but also sometimes just drains you. Um, so, also writing like writing about ADHD was also writing about ADHD and and gender because this is a non-binary character with with ADHD and a, a character who um, who as like was socialized as a girl growing up, and that's going to affect how people see you and how people see the way the way that your brain works. Um, conversations that um conversations that that have happened that are happening are about how uh adhd is often missed in children who are who are socialized as as girls because it's going to it's it's often going to look different there there are sort of these erroneous stereotypes sometimes of what is like girl adhd and what is boy adhd and how how sometimes it's it's going to be it's going to be more obvious to to community members and sometimes it's going to be less obvious um depending on whether it conforms to what we expect to see um to whatever extent extent we expect to see anything because i think a lot of like oh a lot of how how brains work is just it's misunderstood and oversimplified whether we're talking about adhd whether we're talking about dyslexia whether we're talking about any like any other forms of neurodivergence it's often it's and that's why I want to say to to whatever extent it is like it is conceptualized because often often these things are um, aren't aren't thought of as much as they need to be. I wanted to write a character who who already was who already was diagnosed who already has like ha- has a community who's who's helping them who um, who already has like 
coping skills, even though coping skills are art, they're always a work in progress. And all of this is always a work in progress. But even though I wanted to write um, a story with a, with a character who had those support systems in place, I wanted to show some of that backstory of like, okay, where do I, where do I fit as someone non-binary? Where do I fit as someone brown? And is, are the things about me, both in terms of both in terms of gender and in um, and in terms of of neurodivergence, um, with me being like with me being a brown trans boy, are the things about me that are that are different from the default? Are they going to be are they going to be supported or are they or or are they going to be shoved down? All of these intersections, all of these things that are all all of these identities happening in the in like in the same story. I know that's I know that's something that is sometimes jarring to it's it's not jarring it's not jarring to the readers who love my books but it's jarring for some it's jarring for some people to hear about this many things happening in like this many this many identities intersecting in one story but that's that's what that's how inter identities intersect in our lives like that yeah. that is like that is who I am those are those are three identities that intersect in my life um, and in a lot of our, and in a lot of our lives, like we, like we all have multiple identities. We all have things that are, we all have things that are coming together at the same time. So breaking down this myth of there are too many things going on identity wise in a book. I, I hope that Lake Lore can be a, can be a small part of that. Well, I love that you, you do this in all your books, I think, um, AM, but I, I loved, especially in Lake Law, the space, this beautiful kind of gentle space that you create for your characters to be who they are. It's just so magical. When I was reading Lake Law, I just kept feeling like, obviously there's, there's a lot of really difficult subject matter that's dealt with, but also it just feels so gentle and so kind of dreamy, like this dreamscape. Um, so I just, I just, I'm so happy that you're writing about these things because it's so important. Thank you so much. So how many, how many drafts do you think you did before you got to the point of, okay, I'm ready to revise? Or do you, are you kind of going back and forth and doing kind of both simultaneously? What I would call complete rewrites, I think it was three or four, and then mm -hmm. um, maybe one or two rounds of, rounds of revision after that. Usually for me, it's the it's the big revision that needs to happen. And then the, um, the, the, like the scene level line edit level is pretty, is it's usually, a, it's usually pretty quick. So moving all the pieces around um, and sort of what, what is going to come to the foreground, what, and what is either going to, what is either going to not be in this story or going to be put in a different, in a different place. I think it, yeah, I think it was like, it was three or four, like, three or four rewrites and then um and then another like another rounded rounded to refining how was lake lord different uh revision wise than how you usually revise so in a way that in a way this is this is similar to I, i'd say this is i'd say this book was similar to um to wild beauty and um when the moon was ours in terms of process where it was just completely tearing it down and building it back up and getting closer and closer to what the book was really about. Whereas with, um, with the mirror season, with, with the weight of feathers, um, 
it was more, it was more like I had, I had a rather short book where things weren't really developed. And it was just, it was, it was almost like this, this really pretty extended outline that I just needed to build up and build up and go deeper into these characters and go deeper into these themes. And that's what happens sometimes um, with my book, with my books. I think, um, I think Blanca y Roja was, was, was like that, was like that too, where a lot more stayed in place, but some, some key scenes were going to have to, were going to have to really change some things about, um, character were really going to have to change. Um, and then there's, and then there's Dark and Deepest Red, where it was, because I had these two timelines, I have, I have the 1518 timeline and I have the, the present day ish timeline, um, where, I was like, I was so worried about that 1518 timeline because of all of the research I would have to do because of every, like all of the history I wanted to do justice to and the history that is, and the history that's not, not talked as much about that I wanted to do justice to. So I had these two different timelines, but the one I was worried about fell into place really, really quickly. And the, the present day one was the one that took iteration after iteration. So that was almost like the, like a, a hybrid of the two different experiences I have because the present day one, I had to keep rewriting and the 1518 one, I just needed to refine and build up and go deeper, deeper into. Mm. So Lake, Lake Lore was, um, I guess, sort of, sort of, fitting with some of the neurodivergence we talked about it was a lot more of the all over the place revision that um that when the moon was ours and and wild beauty kind of kind of patterned with you talked with me while you were revising lake lore about sort of having an aha moment about what this book was and what this book wasn't what we had talked about was you thinking that this was more of an adventure plot line and it ended up being more of a romance and discovery plotline, both of which fit well with portal fantasy, which I think was part of your original vision for this book, if I remember. Would you talk a little about revising towards a specific sort of like genre or or like structure for a story? The weird thing was this being this being more of structured like a romance made it really different from my other books which um which is something that I didn't expect because uh, a lot of my books have us have a strong romance element but they're the books that I write they're often um they're often romantic but the romance is sort of is it's often friendship it's community it's um like it's it's self-love so there is a strong romance element and there's a romance that's that's often at the center of the that's the center of the book but it's not going to be structured quite like a romance and I shouldn't have been surprised that this happens because like I like I like I love romance as a reader so this was gonna like this was gonna happen at some point to have a more like traditionally (laughs) structured structured romance I just didn't expect it to be um to be on this book because this was because of the portal fantasy element, because you have like a lake literally coming above this above the surface, because you have like, like houses changing, because you have certain things about this book that are like, I, I like, I like writing things that are pretty and creepy at the same time. And there's a lot of like pretty and creepy in this book. I, I expected it to be to be a different, a different structure than than the the romance that it ended up being and when I looked at when I looked at the scenes that I had that were working um because this was getting this was getting to the point where I thought God, am I gonna am I gonna meet the production deadline on this because I'm still doing big revisions when I looked at the scenes that I had that were working 
I, I talked to my editor about this and I do this sometimes and this sort of backs up why I think it's important to tell your, um, to tell your, your critique partners what you, what, what's working in a book. Um, and I do this with, I do this with my students too. I think it's, it's, it's important to know what's, what's working, what's clicking into place to, um, to your readers. So I tell them like, okay, this is, this is what you might consider building on because this is really coming across strongly on the page. I asked my editor, what do you not want to see me cut? And she said, I love this romance. Like I love the two of them. And the more I thought of that, I thought I looked at the scenes that were working and I, I thought, oh my gosh, this is, this is a romance. And that illuminated what scenes I had missing. And that started answering some of my editor's questions about what still wasn't in the book. And as soon as I thought that, I thought, oh, that's like, that's the problem is that I've been structuring this as something different different than it is, which I guess is like a, it's, it, it sort of re reflects writing about gender identity and transness. Like, oh, the problem is I've been trying to, I've been trying to be a cis girl this whole time. Like things are falling a lot more into place. Um, once I realize that I'm kind of a boy sometimes uh, in my, yeah, in my case, I'm kind of a boy. Sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm by gender. I'm a boy. A lot of the time I'm a girl sometimes, um, which is similar to, to Laura's experience in, in Lake Lore. Um, Bastian is non-binary, but, but all boy all the time. So that, that concept of like, okay, once you, once you know what you're looking at, it can really help you revise. And that's not to say that you have to necessarily type your book because I think that's a very specific kind of thinking that can be limiting. It, it helps you if it helps you. Like if, it, if, that, if that is something that illuminates your work, that brings it forward, then that's great. It's not something you have to do, but if it's something that, that helps you, it, it's, really, it's really going to help you understand your story better if you know what it is, which sounds so obvious, but it takes a while to know what, to know what you're looking at. And I think because I write, um, I, I write books that have these queer romances that have like, that have trans and non-binary romances because, because I, I, um, I'm very grateful to have readers who, who say how much they appreciate those romantic elements in my, in my book in my books, I didn't realize, I didn't like, I didn't really realize like, okay, that's, it's sort of funny that I didn't realize I was looking at a romance when I, when like something that, something that I hear is that I, something that readers love is how I write like romantic relationships between queer and non-binary and trans characters. So it's kind of funny that it took me long and that long to realize what I was looking at. But once I realized it, I, I knew what scenes were missing. And once I, once I knew, once I saw those scenes that were missing, I, the, the pieces started falling into place and the scenes were in complete, the completely wrong order. Like that's part of what wasn't working. Like there were a lot of, there were a lot of scenes that were, that were working and they weren't in the right order. And I didn't know that until I, until I realized what, what kind of story I was writing. It's so interesting, especially <laughs> reading the finished book. You would never, you would just think that from the beginning, this was structured yeah. in this way. Mm. But I love what you said about it can be stifling to put your book into a specific box. If you feel like you then have to meet all of the genre conventions that go with that box. But something that I love about 
your work and something that Haley was mentioning earlier is that, um, and that you were mentioning as well, AM, is that even if you are using a similar romance structure for a lot of your stories, it's not always between uh, one person and another person who fall in love and end up together in the end. I feel like you often use that romance structure for a character and themselves <laughs> and it's about mm-hmm. falling in love with themselves so that's such a great mm-hmm. example of how you take this this structure that works so well and that that and, and you switch it around and make it work for the kinds of stories that you are telling am do you often do you do you struggle to balance povs and did you struggle to balance was one was like either bastian or law more prominent and how do you how do you balance telling the story from both points of view? And yeah, how do you how do you do that? Because I normally write just one point of view, um, so I'm always interested in, in people who can do like two POVs really really well. Well, Bastian and Laura were were point of view characters um, from the first draft. I also I don't remember if it was the if it was the first first. Um, version or if it was a version along the way I had a third character who I had three point of uh, point of views at some point it was not working this character was just I, I think this character was in my was in my brain because she belonged in another book and I like I mistakenly thought like okay she must belong in this book totally different <laughs> like totally different book um that's that's happened before fell from wild beauty was in a was in a different book at some point and like completely different setting completely different story and I thought like what do I do with you and eventually I was eventually when I was <laughs> writing Wild Beauty I was like oh hello like good to see you um <laughs> nice so, to see you again just yeah. a little too early exactly <laughs> exactly um so they were um Bastian and Laura were both point of view characters from the beginning but I had to get to the point of thinking like okay it's it's really like it's just it's it's just the two of them that are that are talking and I think like that something that was interesting is that if you if you met these two characters um I think like you're you're gonna like your hair is gonna blow back a little bit from Laura's personality more than like more than from than from Bastian's personality like there's a lot there with Bastian but Bastian is a little like is a little bit quieter at first um but they like Bastian was really coming across on the page first and my editor was saying me that was saying that like this like like Laura kind of fades into the background like in the in the first versions of this of this story and um, I'm trying to figure out how to say this without spoilers, but I, there was a moment I had to be willing to go for it in about like two thirds, mm. three quarters of the way into this book. And without like with, with Laura's story, like there was, there was a moment that I, I was a, like, I was afraid to write. Um, and I'm, I'm glad that I wrote it. Cause it was, it, it was, it, it was exactly what the story needed. And once I had that, once I had that scene with Laura, everything else with their point of view fell into fell into place because I know I knew where it was that they eventually needed to needed to get to so balancing these two characters who are are in this story that's essentially um, a romance also a portal fantasy but structured like structured <laughs> like a romance having these two characters 
be on their different journeys. Um, these journeys that are inter that are intersecting partly because they need to solve the problem of this world of this world under the lake coming above the surface, but them also having their separate journeys that they're hiding from each other um, and balancing them. That was um, that was part of the revision process was making sure that their that their stories were enough on the page that you as a reader know what's going on, even if they're hiding it from each other. Right. Yeah. That's smart. Well, let's talk about publishing and how this book was acquired, at what point it was acquired, and what the process of working on it with your editor has been like. This is your same editor that you've worked on a lot of projects with. So when did you bring this to her and, and how did it get from yeah, just being a, a project that you were working on inspired by this dive into a lake to having a cover that is so beautiful and perfect. And we're what, six months out or seven, eight months out from it coming out. Walk us through how that happened. Oh, I'm glad you mentioned the cover. I'm in, I'm in love with this it's cover. So I, so I, beautiful. I, um, I, but I, oil I, covers are oh, so yeah, beautiful. beautiful. I am I mean, so fortunate to work with some incredible designers, incredible artists. Um, I, I love everything they've done with my books. Um, I, I love what Liz and Carolina did with, um, did with Lake Laura. Cause like, if, if you, if you'd asked me like when I first, when I, when I first like entered the publishing world, was I going to have a book with two brown non-binary characters on the cover? I'd be yeah. like, yeah, that's going to happen. Um, but I like, I didn't even ask for that. They did it. Like they, I didn't have to ask for it. I'm, so I'm beautiful. so grateful for their, for their work on it. I'm so like, I, I love what um, I love what they've done with the with the feel of it, and also like just being willing to to go for it in terms of in terms of non-binary identity and the challenges it was going to take to portray non-binary characters um, characters on the cover. I also just got first pass pages, and there are butterflies everywhere inside the interior design of this Yay! book. I'm so excited! It's gonna it's gonna make um, doing first pass pages very fun, but also make me like very distracted by coloring and all the butterflies. Um, what was the What was the question? Talk to us just about how this book got published, how it got acquired and how it's going. <laughs> okay. Uh, sorry. Sorry about that. That was like, no, no, no. like maximum ADHD moment. Like, oh, butterflies. butterflies. What was the question? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so this was the, this was the second book in, um, in a two book deal. Cat and Cat and Firewall and Friends acquired um, the Mirror Season, which is my book that came out in, in March, which is a, a story of, um, of two, two sexual assault survivors told through the lens of the Snow Queen, because that, that was a story that really spoke to me growing up. And it was a story where I thought like, oh, like okay, why don't we ask? Like, why does she feel at home in ice? Like, why, how, like, how did the Snow Queen get there? Why are we just willing to talk about her like a villain? Like yeah. why? Well, so it was, it was a question I had growing up that I ended up, that I ended up talking about in this, in this book. I think that's a lot of a, what a lot of writers do. Like they bring a question to the page when they write a book. And it's not like, it's not always a question about ourselves. Often it's a question about another, another story or another, or something that we learned growing up or something that the world's, that the world tells us. Mm -hmm. um, so that was the, the mirror season was the, was the specified book in that two book deal. And Lake Lore was the Lake Lore was the second um, was the second book where I sent um, I I sent my editor um, kind of a, a brief description of of what it was of what it was going to be, and then um, my 
editor went on maternity leave to have her beautiful baby. Um, and I kind of, so I was working on this a little bit unsupervised, which made me feel like I could, I, I, I could, I was a little bit lost, but also I was like, okay, I'm just going to do whatever, whatever I want, which is, which is really funny. Cause like I, all the stuff that I feel like I'm getting away with, like writing, like writing, writing brown non-binary characters I'm not really getting away with anything because Kat is very supportive of all of of, of all of this right. but it's it sort of brought me back to um to Blanca Roja where I was like I'm gonna write a character who uses alternating pronouns let's yeah. see if I get away with this let's see who stops <laughs> me and nobody stopped me um I'm very fortunate in um in that respect um I I had this I had this um draft that I then revised so and that I I gave to that I gave to Kat when um, when Kat came back from from maternity leave and we just we just started working on it from from there and thinking like with each with each version what like what is it that what is it that's really coming that's really coming through what is the heart of this book because that's always what I need to figure out that's I think that's what a that's a lot that's a lot of what happens in revision because once I once I figure out what the what the heart of a book is like what what the book is really about the revision process um gets a lot more streamlined and Mm -hmm. it 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 sharpens and whatever is missing becomes becomes a lot clearer so that was um, that was the process of this of this book, like sort of becoming um, becoming the book that was going to that was going to come after after the mirror season, and I knew that I wanted to write um, I knew that I wanted to write something um, that was I don't want to say it's, it's weird to say fluffy when I'm talking about writing about <laughs> non-binary identity and writing about neurodivergence, but after something that was. Um, that was as serious as the mirror season, which um, uh, which a lot of people tell me is my funniest book, which makes sense because you have to have humor in a book about trauma. You have to have it. Like it's part of how the characters survive. It's part of how you take care of the readers. So the, so even though the mirror season um, was a, is a book that has a lot of humor in it, it's a book that um, had had a weight to it that I thought, okay, like I'm I'm proud of this book. I need to write, like, I need to write something that is my version of fluffy. Um, Cause I love, like, I love fluffy books. I think they, um, I think they, they, they're both, they're both balancing in how we, in how we read. Um, and they let us talk about things. Like they, they let us sneak things in there that are, that are, it's in, in a similar way that like fairy tales do like, okay, we're going to, um, we're going to, we're going to talk about things that you may not want to talk about, but that's a lot of what I do in fairy tale retellings. Like we're going to talk about enchanted woods and magic. And also we're going to talk about colorism and ableism and transphobia. Um, like come for the sparkles, like stay for the social justice. Yes. So, <laughs> um, so I wanted to write something that was um, my, like my lake magic ver- version of, of fluffy, and even though this does talk about um, talk about neurodivergence, which is not something I uh, originally thought I was going to be talking about in this in this book, it still ended up being like that um, that that ver- that version that has that like I don't I'm trying to figure out I'm trying to figure out how to describe it. I think I just love the word. I think I just love the word fluffy. It's like the like it's a good word. I, I think <laughs> like and being able to do that in being able to to do that and also talk about neurodivergence, talk about non-binary identity, talk about, um, like, talk about being, being Mexican-American. It's something that, 
that meant a lot to me because I think um, this was like, I'm trying to figure out what I'm, what I'm saying here. I think I've probably said enough, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it makes sense. And it also reminds me of a common discourse, especially in YA, about allowing for fluffy books with marginalized characters and that books about, um, you know, queer characters, characters of color, uh, characters with different gender identities don't always and shouldn't always be heavy um, or about, you know, the trauma of coming out or about the trauma of racism or, you know, there's there's other ways to celebrate or, or, or there's other stories that exist and that should exist that allow a reader and a writer to celebrate these identities and also to just have characters with these identities who are not, who are just enjoying being in a story the way that um, the, the default white characters in literature often get to do. Mm. And we always need, we always need that range. We yeah. need, like, yeah. I, I, I don't think we will ever be past coming out books because like yeah, they're, they're needed. Like, coming, yeah. Coming out as an, it's, it's an, ex, it's an experience that, um, that we need to talk about. So it's not so much as like, okay, we're, we're, we're done with that. And now it's time for something else. It's about having that, mm-hmm. that range of yeah. that range of experiences and having, and having, um, having every identity have a range of stories that you can, that you can find. Hmm. Agreed. And I just want to say, I think you do it so beautifully in all your books across the board, but especially in Lake Law, the balancing of light and dark, the lightness and darkness and, and the softness and the hardness and the, uh, the difficult stuff with the beautiful stuff is just so perfect. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, the word you used earlier, Haley, was gentle. And that's how I feel gentle, about Lake Lore, yeah. too. It's fluffy yeah. and it's also gentle. It feels gentle. It feels like you as the writer um, have chosen deliberately to be very gentle with these characters in, a, in such a loving and supportive way that is um, yeah, such a good addition to your shelf of books that you've Mm. written not that you are not always gentle and loving with your characters because you are but like you said sometimes your characters (laughs) go through the ringer (laughs) (laughs) but I think there's a line in the book I'm not going to quote the line because I don't know it off my heart but there's an idea maybe what I should say is there's an idea in the book um, that law expresses which is that sometimes the most difficult things that happen to you, the hardest things also bring about the most beautiful circumstances. And they talk about uh, their mother reading to them. Uh, Yeah. And I I think that's such a like perfect kind of pivot. It almost felt like the, the pivot upon which the book turned the idea that, that, that you can have something really bad, quote unquote, bad in your life and that so many beautiful things can come out of it. Yeah, and, and that, um, and the idea of conceptualizing, like, what do we think of as bad things? Because part of, mm. part of Lore, part of Lore's, like, what Lore needs to wrap their head around is that it's not, it's not the dyslexia that's the bad thing. It's the, it's, it's like this sort of, this, this ripple effect of like, what, what happened when I was like, when I was this brown kid who had trouble reading and 
how, mm. like, how did people react to me? And how did I react to them reacting to me? And what mm. happened when I did exactly what, what ex- exactly what I was told I was supposed to do. And I felt this kind of betrayal of, of like the community I was in not protecting me the way that they, the way that they should have. Mm-hmm. And how do I, how do I go forward from that and make, make another, make another community? Cause at the beginning of this book, like Laura, Laura has just, has just moved to this community where this, where this lake is. And how do I go from like, cause, and Laura starts out like, okay, I am going to, like, I am going to get all of this right. I am going to, like, mm-hmm. I am not going to make any of the same, the same mistakes that I've, that I've made. And how do you move from that to this, to this place of like, okay, like my, my mistakes aren't something I just, I just need to hide. And mm-hmm. that's something that, that's something that ends up being um, just this, this thread within, within Laura's journey. Like, how do I think about what my life has been up to this point as something that I can, that, that I am okay. I am okay with the fact that it goes with me rather than like, okay, I have moved. Mm-hmm. I'm leaving that life there. I am making this life here. The slate never really gets wiped clean, but that doesn't have to be a bad thing. Yeah. That provides the perfect base layer for a a painting of color (laughs) that you can then add on top of. All the paint metaphors. That's a good metaphor. (laughs) All the paint metaphor. I was, I was reaching for it, but I got it there. I know that recently you sold a great Gatsby retelling just in time, like right as soon as the copyright was available for, <laughs> for, um, for, for this, uh, it was announced. So will you tell us anything that you can about this project and how it's going? I know there's some things that you probably still have to keep under wraps, but tell us what you can. Give us any little tidbits that are available. So I, I must give credit to, um, uh, to Emily Settle and Firewall and Friends because they approached me with this project as part of their remixed, remixed classic series. Um, and Emily, Emily said, like, I'd, I'd really like you to be part of the series and I'd like you to, I'd like you to do The Great Gatsby. And one, I, I thought, like, I would love to do this. Um, two, fair warning, like, this is going to be like brown, queer and trans by the time I'm done with this. And I, and Emily was kind of like, yeah, we sort of knew what we were getting. Like when we, that's, that's when, the point. <laughs> yeah, when we, when we asked you, we sort of, we sort of knew where this was probably going to go. So um, I was, I was just over the moon to be part of this amazing group of authors who is, um, who's reimagining like, different, um, different classics in a way that, um, in a way that's inclusive, in a way that, um, that reflects reflects identity in um in a more a more complete way with um with every one of these works and I'm just so I'm just so grateful to be um to be part of this group so the the short version of how I'm um reimagining Great Gatsby it's still gonna it like it's still gonna take place in the 1920s um so a lot of details of setting are going to be similar, um, but Gatsby is a a transgender young man. Um, Nick is Nick Caraveo, who um, who's a Latino a Latino trans boy um, who comes from Wisconsin to to New York to be a math nerd on Wall Street, and um, Daisy is Daisy is um, a Latina. Latina lesbian, um, angry, le- angry Latina lesbian socialite, as I've always wanted to write Daisy, uh, Daisy, but in 
my Daisy is, um, she's, she's Latina and she's, she's white passing. Um, and I, like, I owe, I owe a great, I owe a great literary debt to, in many ways, to Nella Larson's passing, which was one of those books that made me a reader. One of those books that has, that has stayed with me and is, um, and it's just one of one of my favorite books and I cannot wait to see the movie. I am so excited for the, for the film. Wow. Um, so that's the, that's the sort of short version of what I'm, what I'm doing with Gatsby. And I'm keeping, I'm keeping some of the beats the same. I don't mind saying that there's going to be a happier ending. Cause I don't think that's going to be a great surprise to anyone that I want to give like my, <laughs> that I want to give my, my trans characters a happier ending. Um, but some of the, some of the beats and like the, the, the idea of what is, what is dis, what is disillusionment? What is a dream? Like, what is, like, where is, where, where does the hope actually exist? Um, some of those, some of those stay the same. There's just a lot, there's just a lot different stuff that's going to be, that's going to be under it. Also, like I, when I was reading that book, like Nick is in love with Gatsby, like the, like when I was reading the originals and like, I, I could not not see it. So yeah. Um, so yeah, that's gonna be a thing in in my Gatsby, um, which is which is something that makes like both me now and like teenage me really happy. Um, as does the fact that 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 um, that they were willing to go with the the title that I wanted, which is self-made boys, um, <sighs> so which I, I so wanted good. both to like speak to this idea of like, um, the, the, the lies within the American dreams that are shown in this book. And, and also like, who is, who are more self-made than, than us who are like trans boys. And I love titles that have that double meaning. Like it means it's just that every great title has to have that. I feel. Yeah. It's great. You're going to make so many fan fiction readers so happy with this book. Mm. (laughs) I know it. There's a lot of, I feel like there's a lot of Gatsby slash out there that they've been waiting for. I hope so. Do you have title stories, like how your, like how your titles came to be? Is there any particular one where it either came very quickly or it, it took a while to get there? Cause titles are one of those things where for me, I either get it really fast or it's going to, it's going to take 80 tries. Yes. That's how I am. It's either right away before I even have written anything or else it never comes. And it's like pulling teeth, trying to figure out and it never feels right. Haley, what about you? (laughs) I always have a title first. I can't start writing unless I have a title. Um, at least well so with some books I've had a title that I've really loved and then as the book has changed because of how I write that often happens at the like first draft that I write is completely unrecognizable from the actual like the book that it ends up being so if that happens the title will change but I always have to have a title that I really love like I know Lindsay you often you'll be like it's circus book or oh, I know. you know it's you terrible. call it like and I can't do that I can't do like a nickname name in the document it has to, I have to have like a name that I really love and yeah and usually it's like the central idea of the book um so yeah usually it doesn't change at all like from the first draft all the way through I've been lucky also that I've been allowed to keep the titles that I have no one's ever told me like this title isn't good enough we have to change it 
Yeah, gargoyle book was just gargoyle book for yes, I remember. And, and then, then it was finally, Kayla <laughs> was like, "So shall we figure out a title for this?" And I was like, "But why? Like, they can't just call it gargoyle. It book. just doesn't need a title." But we finally, I mean, and that was you remember that Haley? There was a lot of emails back and forth between you and I with me <laughs> being like, "Okay, I hate." every word associated with this book <laughs> why can't I figure out a title and we finally figured out a title and it feels I don't know I think it's a great title it's a oh it's a wonderful title it just it still feels weird to call the book by its title instead of just gargoyle book you're, mm-hmm. you're just gonna think of it as gargoyle book forever that's how that's what happens with like me <laughs> and dark and deepest red I love the title dark and deepest red I did not come up with it I love it um but that I still think of that book as medieval queers sometimes which yes. is a working <laughs> title yes yes well I have that I have that great expectations retelling that I was calling queer expectations as a joke Queer expectations as a working so title and then yeah and then was like mm, that's actually great. So that's the title. <laughs> so, <laughs> sometimes it works out. Um, I don't know. I love self-made boys is the perfect title though. It's so, it perfect. is. It's so good. It's so good. Yeah. Okay. Should we talk, uh, writing advice? Yes. So we're, we're trying to do this thing on our podcast, which is basically to propose or to present a kind of common writing rule um, to the writer we're interviewing and then to ask them if they abide by that rule, how they feel about it, if they kind of hate it, if they love it, that kind of thing. So um, so the, the writing rule that we're going to ask you about AM is the idea that you have to outline before you drop, like you have to have a solid outline before you start drafting. Otherwise, everything's going to be a complete mess. How do you feel about that? Do I agree with that as a general rule? Absolutely not. I'm very envious <laughs> of writers who can just draft forward. I personally need some kind of outline. It's never how the book actually goes though. It's one of those it's one of those things where I have to know a way that a book can end. It's almost never the way it's actually going to end, but I have to know that there is some way that this story can can resolve. That's mm-hmm. me though. I, I think that a lot of, a lot of writers are fueled by how, like, how is this going to, how is this going to end? It's as though they're watching their own, their own book. They're reading their own book as they write it. And if mm-hmm. that's what fuels you, that's, that's great. I think I'm trying to think of any writing rule where it's like, yes, that applies to everyone, but it's so many, so much of this comes down to just like what, what works for you and yes. what works for you at a, on a particular book or at a particular time, like yeah. our, our writing habits, the things that work for our writing brains, the things that work for our creative hearts, they're, they're going to change. And that is, that is okay. That is more than okay. Oh, I was going to say, I love the idea of the outline as a kind of scaffolding that just allows you to get to a psychological place of like, it, it just, it allows you to feel kind of calmer about the idea of writing the book, but it can totally come down or it can change or, you know, like you don't have to be loyal to the outline. Um, But yeah, I'm, I'm someone who cannot outline. Like I I try, I really try because I do think it would be much simpler if I could write an outline from A to Z and then write the book from A to Z, but it's never actually happened. just can't do it I can't it's like trying to see through mist or fog like I can't see what's going to happen in the middle of the book until I've written the beginning of the book Mm. you know so do you write in a linear way 
I do write in a linear way, but I, yeah, so I'll have kind of ideas for the beginning and then I write the beginning and then I can kind of brainstorm. So I guess I do outline in a way, but it's more brainstorming at kind of checkpoints throughout the book or when I get stuck or when I start to feel anxious or scared that I'm never going to be able to finish the book, which is often, then I'll kind of like pull over to the side of the road, brainstorm, pep talk myself and then like start driving again. So well, emotionally, that that void between or the space between having an outline that you've written and you're like decided on or you think you're decided on and then realizing later that the outline doesn't work or it's not quite right. And so you have to change it or change what you're writing. I feel like that often is the pitfall for a lot of writers who feel like they have failed if they don't stick to their outline or that the outline was broken to begin with, which means that they can't trust their instincts or that Mm. to veer away from an outline that was perfect means that they're bad writers now somehow. So like Mm. being flexible with an outline and being willing to have it and write it, but also being willing to change it and throw it away at any given point without that affecting you, your confidence as a writer, I feel like is, I don't know. I feel like that's where, even in the conversations about outlines, when people are like, oh no, I can't outline. It's too rigid. Well, outlines are meant to be flexible, I think all along, but we have this idea that um, yeah, that, that, um, if you don't have it all figured out at the beginning and you have to change halfway through, it means that you were wrong and that your writing instincts are wrong and bad. And that like, you don't have any conviction. And there's so many ways that, that outlining happens that, um, that aren't recognized as outlining. Like I, I know, I know writers who like kind of outline based on theme. I don't know what my theme is when I'm, when I'm drafting, they do. And that helps them, that helps drive forward, like what they're writing about. Yeah. My playlists are often secret outlines, Mm. like the songs that I add in the order that they're in, or the, even the order that they get added in, even if it's non-linear, it doesn't match up story beat by story beat with my story. It still is very much an outline of how I was feeling or what I was thinking of as I brainstormed a book. But I, mm. I, you would never think of that as outlining because there's not a Roman numeral or like a beat sheet or, <laughs> you know. Yeah, that's so like interesting. That. I never thought about that. And I, I think, I guess if I had to say the way that I outline is probably driving in my car because this is what I do when I get stuck because I literally get in my car, put music on and kind of daydream about the book. And like, that can be outlining, I guess. I'm not writing anything down, but I'm just kind of playing things through my mind to see what feels right. Yeah. That feels like, especially if you think of the word outline beyond just writing or writing words, an outline of a picture or an outline of a project, like getting just the, the outer lines, Mm, the 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 the, yeah, figured out, like, Mm. yeah that's an outline so we're so we're pro outline and also pro (laughs) no outline is and also pro an outline can be can look any way you want it to look basically and at any stage because I do more outlining at the end of my revision than I do at the beginning of my drafting yeah I do that too. I, I outline on pretty much pretty much every phase. However that however that outline looks like. Sometimes it's more it's more extensive than than others. Yeah, I think 
I'm, I'm so interested to like hear your different episodes and what, what like writing advice is the, is, is like the most typical writing advice and what your, what your other guests have to say about this. I like this segment. It is cool. I think it's just that Lindsay and I talk a lot about writing and we're often like, I guess a lot of the rules, especially when people first start writing, um, a lot of the rules are presented exactly as rules. They're presented like, like they're these fixed things that you have to kind of abide by, or you have to follow this. Otherwise you're a bad writer or you're doing it wrong or, you know, and then as you go, um, hopefully you learn that, um, yeah, that the rules are just, it's, you know, someone else's idea of what, of the right way, cause it works for them, but it doesn't necessarily work for everyone. So, and it's often yeah. very institutionalized rules because we have the internet now, which means we can talk to other writers and hear that, wow, people are writing books, even though they don't follow any of these rules. Wow. But, <laughs> yeah. but, but writing teachers and writing programs and writing advice books and writing memoirs that was all that people had for a really long time writer's digest you know like you just had like (laughs) access to these little institutionalized formalized writing advice and the internet is terrible for a lot of things but good for learning about how other people make art and that and that it's okay however you make your art is great as long as as long as it keeps you healthy and as long as you end up with something finished at the end, if yeah. that's your goal. <laughs> well, awesome. Anything else that we should know about um, AM? Or I guess, where can people find you? If you want them to find you, maybe you don't want them to find you online. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm, my website is at com. I'm on Twitter at LA Anna Marie. Um, so yeah, I'm, I am on Twitter only, only sporadically, but, um, but I come on there sometimes to celebrate, celebrate other people's books to post makeup looks either about my covers or other people's covers because I love playing with makeup. So yeah, I'm, um, I'm there, I'm there sometimes. And in otherwise, I, I, otherwise, otherwise, like I had a, I had a, like uh, an author friend tell me like I think people just think like you're you're up in a tree with like fairy wings writing books and I'm like yeah that's like not you're that, an actual fairy <laughs> that's not that that's not that far off like yeah, I feel also, like that's pretty accurate also the, the the gay jokes with fairies are just like irresistible so yes I'm a fairy <laughs> that's what I, that's for sure what I come to your twitter page for is for the the gay and fairy like glittery jokes I love them I, I you love are, that. you're like a magical you're a magical being. You're a glitter Aww. jar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can't I can't believe I got the I can't believe I didn't talk about glitter this entire time, considering how much <gasps> glitter there is in Lake Lore. There's there is a lot. Yeah. There's so much glitter. And you're writing Gatsby, which glitter. So <laughs> yes. next time. Glitter jars to sh- <laughs> glitter jars to chandeliers. Oh. There's so much glitter happening in my 2020, 2022 writing releases. I love it, but that is so perfect because that is what you do as a writer. You throw a handful of glitter onto all of these scenarios and all of these um, discoveries of identities and forming of communities. You talk about the hard stuff, but you're always there to just like throw in some glitter too, so that we can so that we can all remember that this is all meant to be celebratory. Oh, I love that. Thank you. 
Well, thank you so much for joining us, AM. It's been such an amazing time talking to you. Thank you so much for listening to Story of the Book. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend. Or give us a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. Until next time, stay safe and keep writing. Bye! Bye. (laughs) 